chapter 92, five thunders. Be thou my helper in this place, O Lord, my strong defender be. Thy mighty shield protect my life. Thy spear confront the enemy. Amid the conflict, O my Lord, thy precious promise let me hear. The faithful, reassuring words, I am thy Savior. Do not fear. Five centers of ninety-two.
Beloved, I have rather a long text. In fact, I have three separate texts. But I believe they really tell the same story. I'll read them. First of all, look six in the portion which I read, the verses 36 to 38. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Then second, Romans 2, verse 1 and 2. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same thing. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And then finally, Matthew 7. Five verses. We have the same thing again. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall measure to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Thus far. As you already noted, two of the three texts are taken out of the Sermon of the Mount. And that Sermon of the Mount delineates the life of the Christian as he lives according to the law of liberty. And that Sermon of the Mount is beautiful in its start, its beginning. For it gives the description of you, 
from the heart out. Here is your name. The poor in spirit. The mourners. How fitting. The meek crawling in the dust. The hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The merciful. The pure in heart. And the peacemaker. That's your name. That's a description that Christ gives of the church. And the rest that follows in those three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, delineates your life. And out of it, we have chosen this difficult text. For difficult it is. Judge not that you be not judged. That is the heart of the text. Especially difficult because we read at the same time by the, by the same spirit in the same Bible. But he that is spiritual judges all things. So on the one hand we hear Jesus say, judge not that you be not judged. And on the other hand, if you are spiritual, and that's what you are, every Christian is spiritual, is a spiritual being filled with the Spirit of Christ. He judges all things. We will try and find the answer when we study this text with you. And I'd like to speak to you on the admonition against judging. First of all, we see judging as such. And then the negative reasons. And third, the positive implication. Judging. What is it? What are the elements? Now, first of all, let's look at the basis for judging. And that is very aptly and correctly stated in the worldly court. That's beautifully stated. They don't always answer to it, but it is beautifully stated. The basis of all judging is the law, the truth, if you please. The truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's the basis for all judging. Without it, you have no judging. And considered rightly, that basis is really God, the triune God. He is the truth. His whole being, 
everlastingly is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Secondly, you have the various parties in judgment. They come before you when you are a judge, the party, the accuser, and the accused. And if you are to be a judge, and if you are to judge correctly, you must be blind to them. You may never accept a person of either the accuser or the accused. They're absolutely alike before your face, without respect of person. Absolute impartiality to the parties before you. And then as to the data, you have to hear as much as you possible can of the whole case. Never be in a hurry when you are to judge. And in the Old Testament, we had a very good rule that all witnesses were warned, severely warned, before they gave the testimony that they were to tell the truth. The examination of all the data, Exhibit A, Exhibit B, Exhibit 3. And after all that, and finally, you have the sentence, the judgment, the authoritative sentence, according to the law, or according to God, if you please. In the light of all that, it ought to be very evident that there really is only one who is able to judge righteously. And that is the living God himself. For he is God. For he knows all. Nothing is hid from him. You can never say, oh Lord, I didn't mean that. The Lord looks in your heart. And he beholds the deepest motives and intents of the heart. Why you did as you did. You can't tell him anything. He is God. And he knows all. In the third place, he is righteousness. That's his very being. Even as he is the truth. He is all his virtues. And finally, he is impartial. We know that because he showed us. He showed us. You can imagine how God loved his own son. Now, yeah, suppose you are a judge and you have your own son before you. A son that you love with all your heart. 
What shall we say about the love of God for his son? And when his son stood there with all the corruption of the church on his neck, God was impartial. God was righteous. And he condemned him to everlasting death. We have the proof in the annals of the church, in the Bible. So I say again, in the light of all that, it ought to be plain that there is really only one that is able to judge. And yet, God appoints judges. And you understand why in the Old Testament, in the Bible, they are called God. A, a judge really stands in the place of God. I said to a judge once, after he got through about judging this case, Judge Taylor was all over. And I came up to the bench and I said to him, I said, how do you like to play God? And he was a little surprised. But not for long. And he told me, he says, Reverend Voss, it is very, very, very difficult to judge. Because you really occupy God's place. Listen to God-fearing King Jehoshaphat, who was talking about the subject of our sermon tonight. Listen to him as he addresses the man who is, to whom he appointed as judges in Israel. He said, take heed what you do. For ye judge not for man, but for the Lord. And now notice. Who is with you in the judgment? Wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord, our God, nor respect of persons, nor the taking of gifts. And thus we have our judges. God appoints them. Both in the Old and in the New Testament. And we have them in the world. And they are appointed by God's providence and responsible to God. Every judge in every court. And we have our judges in the church. You have your judges. And you come before your judges if you have trouble. And so you understand how many a man hesitates and trembles when he is called to become an elder in the church. That is judging. That's us. And now we come to the prohibition. 
Judge not. How must we understand that? Judge not that you be not judged. What does the Lord mean? Well, it is so plain that he appoints judges and that anyone that is spiritual, a child of God, judges all things. How must we reconcile that? Well, let me begin by saying that the Lord does not mean that you should not apply the law or apply God, really, to what we see, observe, and hear round about us. Because of the simple fact that cannot be denied, that God planted the capacity to judge in every one of us, in our heart. You can't help it. And he says, listen to what God himself says. Woe unto him that, woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter, Isaiah 5, 20. You must judge, and you must judge righteously, and you do so every day. But the point of our text both in Matthew, Luke, and Romans, is the very common fault in all of us, every one of you that sit here, to be one-sided and lopsided in our judgment. The common fault, the devilish, devilish fault in every one of you to fix our eyes on the force of our neighbor bypassing any and all virtue because of the very deviltry of our nature. I can find illustrations in the insect and animal world. There are insects that thrive on a running sore, on a putrid, fussy sore. They thrive on that. There are birds, buzzards, that circle and pounce on the rotten corpse to devour it. There is an inclination in our nature, and God knows it, 
that we see on the fault of our neighbor, of our brother and of our sister. And like a delightful morsel in our mouth, we chew on it, and we taste it, and enjoy talking about their evil. The most, the most in their eyes. The context is very clear. The Lord does not say that you may not judge for shame. That's impossible. But you may not be lopsided in your judgment. You may not be evil in your judgment. And staring and staring yourself blind on the fault of others. And you don't see the beam in your own eyes. It's very clear from the context. And there are two very clear reasons why we should not judge easily. Number one, sure, it's easy enough to find the most. There is plenty of opportunity to find the most in your brother's eye there are millions of them round about you with a moat in their eye. No one is perfect. But here is the point. How about that beam in your own eye? The outstanding negative earmark of the true Christian is exactly this, that you constantly look at that beam in your eye and that you esteem the brother more excellent than yourself. That is taught throughout the Bible. Let's take, for example, that excellent Christian that marvelous Christian, Paul. He stands in the midst of Christendom, and it is written down in the Bible. It is read all over the world. I am the chief of sinners. Paul wasn't looking at the moat in his brother's eye to feed on it. And let's listen to Jesus, a most beautiful example, a case in point. Look at that poor publican who had much of the Holy Ghost in his heart. And when you have the Holy Ghost in your heart, you are bothered by sin, not your brother's sin, but your own. All he saw was his awful sin. And he separates himself from the whole mass of humanity. That's very plain in the original, not in your English version. There it says, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He didn't say that. He says, 
God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And therefore the first reason why we should not judge evilly is that we are lopsided and really laughable, ludicrous. We have a proverb in the old country, and I heard it ever since I was that high. The pot for a white castle that is worthy. That means the pot is rebuking the cattle that it is so black. It's ludicrous. It's laughable. To stand there with a beam in your eyes and keep on pointing at the mouth of your brother. But that's not all. The other is still more ludicrous. The other reason which which the Lord gave. I'll put it in modern language. What makes it so ludicrous and laughable is this, that you really say, Brother, let me be your optician. Let me be your eye doctor. Because I perceive that you have a moat in your eye. But how in the world am I going to be an optician and do my work correctly while I have a beam in my own eye? That's the second reason why we should not judge. That's why we read. First, put out the mouth out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the mouth in your brother's eye. In the third place, and that's positive, in our relationship to our brother and sister, uh, here is a beautiful rule, and I assure you it holds, too. With whatever measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. What do you expect to receive when you are forever soul fighting with your brother? You'll be despised. But if you are kind, and we'll come back to that later, and if you are merciful, then you will receive in your bosom A beautiful reward. You know, there is a beautiful proverb, you can never give kindness away. It's impossible to give away kindness. Because it always comes back to you. It always returns to you. As the Holy Ghost says, pressed down, shaken together, Running over shall man give in your bosom. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful, says my text. And you know what that means? We have occasions sometimes in the consistory to apply that. They come to us. 
full of anxiety and excitement. Doesn't the consistory do something about this, so-and-so and so? You never heard of it. And then we say sometimes, did you go and see him? Did you go and see him? What really is the real attitude? What is the attitude for those that have a moat in their eye? What's the real attitude? 38 years ago, I read a voto. That's the only thing we had as a guide for catechism preaching. And Dr. Abraham Kuyper had a beautiful, beautiful piece of advice. The subject was forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us in that Lord's day. And Dr. Abraham Kuyper said, if you want to visit your brother who has trespassed against you, he has his most. And if you want to have spiritual success, go to him in the spirit of the publican. That's correct. You know what mercy is, don't you, to be merciful? You know, when somebody has a moat in his eye, your brother has a moat in his eye, that often, that ought to awaken in your heart mercy. You're concerned that your brother has sinned. It hurts you that he has sinned. And out of deep concern, the concern born of love, you go to him and you make, you make him feel that you are concerned about him in mercy. We come back to that presently. The positive implication over against that fault finding, that feeding on the rottenness that you see in others, feeding on it, rolling it in your mouth and tasting it and enlarging upon it and emphasizing it and judging evilly over against that in your church here with your membership give I'm quoting the text give outgoing give and it shall be given to you even as I said a while ago you can't give kindness away you can't give it away it comes back to you bounty Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall mean giving to your bosom. Condemn not, but forgive. In the second place, if everybody will do as the text says, we would have a very, very peaceful church, a lovable church. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye. When I was very small, they used to ask the question, 
Why was Jerusalem such a beautiful city? And I didn't know the answer. And they would give answer and say, because everybody slept before his own house. Because everybody slept before his own house. You know, in the old country, they always washed. They always washed the street right in front of their house. With long, stiff brooms and plenty of water, they would wash the street in front of their house. That makes Jerusalem a beautiful city where everybody would sleep before his own house. That's in the text. Be busy with your beam in your own eye. And then you will see clearly to judge correctly and not easily. Then you can get busy at the mouth of your brother and your sister in the right spirit. For he shall have judgment without mercy. For those that chose no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. I'll give you a beautiful example. And let's try and live that way. The Lord left us that example. It is heart stirring. It overwhelms our heart when we read it. And whenever we looked on it. There come the Pharisees, old and young, a whole group of them, the fathers, the ministers, the doctors of philosophy, the doctors of theology, the whole council to Jesus. And they drag with them a woman caught in adultery in the very act. Lord is writing in the sand. And vehemently the accuser. He writes in the sand. And the, the Lord finally looks up, looks him in the eye. Who of you, whoever without you, is without sin, cast the first stone upon that woman. And I can well imagine what that statement did to those Pharisees, those ministers, those doctors of theology, the leaders. I can well imagine it fell like ice on their heart. And they had their normal memories. They right away were convicted of their own being and their lack of mercy. And then, notice, they all left. But there is one particular point there. They left the oldest first, that old gray-headed, stooped-over old Pharisee. He was the first to go. He had memory of many beings in his own eye. And then the second oldest. It says there, from the oldest to the youngest. The last one was a young man. But he left. 
And there was the adulterous woman. And I'm pretty sure that she was very, very repentant. I can judge that from Christ's attitude toward her. Where are your accusers? They're all gone. Then I won't accuse you either. That mercy of Jesus. Another case. Beautiful for you to follow. The harlot. The woman that was a sinner. And everybody knew it. Behind Jesus. She never said a word. You're going to see her. She's waiting for you in heaven. We have not one word in the Bible about that woman. She never said a word, but she wept. She wept out her heart because of the beam in her eye. And she washed the feet of Jesus with her tears. And he shows you how to act toward the penitent sinner. Finally, after his soliloquy with Simon, he turned him around and looked upon that poor, poor woman. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven you. Go in peace. The lesson I would quote the text. Be merciful. Be merciful. Amen. Beloved God and Father, we listen to thy Son telling us not to judge evilly not to feed delightedly on the faults of our brethren, but to be merciful, to give, not to condemn. And whenever we have to judge, to judge righteously, truly, fed by mercy in the midst of the church. Give it to thy servants, give it to this congregation, give it to thy people, so that we may have a peaceful, joyful Christian life, walking hand in hand, and that the enemy seeing it, the enemy seeing it, may give testimony as they did many, many ages ago when they said of the church, Behold how they love one another. Amen. Our closing number, 24.
Who, O Lord, with thee abiding, in thy house shall be thy guest? Who his cheek to Zion turning, in thy holy hill shall rest? He that ever walks uprightly does the right without the fear. When he speaks, he speaks not lightly, but with truth and love sincere. All three of twenty-four.
The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. <laughs>